Welcome to Beyond the Horizon, a podcast mini-series where we chat with guests from different careers and walks of life to help us discover what lies beyond. I'm Roshi, and today I'm talking with Dr. Smithy Nathan, Senior UX Researcher, to learn more about her work in industry. Thank you, Dr. Nathan, for taking the time to talk with us today. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. Briefly, uh, Smithy, can you share with us a summary of your career journey thus far? Sure. So let's start at the graduate level. Um, I got my PhD in anthropology with a focus on archaeology. And as I was finishing up my PhD, I wasn't really, you know, convinced that the academic path or journey was right for me. So I began looking at other career options and I was really intrigued by the world of design, um, especially design thinking. So upon completing uh, my PhD, I actually had a bit of a freak accident and I had to recover from that and learn how to walk again. So after a couple months and uh, and then I could walk a bit better, I missed most of the postdoc application period. So I was able to to line up a design thinking internship at a company called Zeiss, which is a major optics firm. And uh, for those in the life sciences or other sciences, they might be familiar with their microscopes. Um, So I did that and I was really intrigued by, you know, design thinking and the world of design and user experience. Um, But in the midst of doing that internship, I actually got a postdoctoral offer um, at Johns Hopkins University. And I decided to take it because um, at that that moment, that postdoc was supposed to merge user experience research. So I was really excited about doing that in an academic setting. Unfortunately, the postdoc um, didn't materialize the way I had um, envisioned it. So after about a year, I decided to transition to higher education administration. But again, that thread of design was still there. So instead, I was applying life design and design thinking principles in a career design context, which was, which is really fun and fulfilling. And I did that for about two years, but then there was like an itch. I really wanted to see how, you know, design thinking worked in an industry setting. So a couple months ago, I was fortunate to line up a user experience research role um, at a major financial institution in the U.S. So I decided to jump on that opportunity and change change fields completely again and try out user experience research in an industry setting. So that's what I'm doing now. Nice. And and for those listeners who are not quite sure what UX research is, can you tell us a little bit about what that entails and how your background plays into being a UX researcher? Sure. So simply put, user experience research is... um, essentially studying users, whatever your user might be for whatever your setting is. So that could be customers, that could be students, if you're in a higher education context, um, that could be patrons, for example, if you're at like a library or, or museum, for example, and you're 
studying those users in a variety of different ways. For example, you could do interviews with them. You could do surveys. You could actually do ethnography where you go and observe them and kind of their, uh, you know, their natural place or a certain setting where um, you want to find observations. And then you analyze that information to help inform, you know, the design process of a specific product, feature, experience. And in these days, the digital experience is really um, important to a lot of companies. So that you're, you're kind of seeing the intersection of like products and experiences and like services. So to summarize real quickly, again, it's basically studying users and analyzing that information to inform the design process of, you know, something you're creating. Okay, very cool. Um, so I'd love to get an insight into what your typical workday looks like as a UX researcher. Can you tell us maybe not today, maybe what a week might look like for you? Sure. I will say it's very dynamic um, for me personally. Like I work for a large financial institution. And even though the contacts, um, banking, for example, um, if you work for like a, um, a bank, um, it, it's kind of has this reputation of being, you know, a fairly conservative old school, like kind of um, industry. And while that is, I've seen like to be fairly true. The design world is really dynamic. And the nice thing about working for a large company is there are a lot of projects you could be doing. Um, so that's really cool. So my typical workday uh, changes a lot, but I will say there are generally two types of uh, design research work that you know, one can do. One is called evaluative research. So that's really like more like surveys, usability testing, even interviews. But that research really has a time span of anywhere from like a few days to two weeks. So that research is really short. Um, so that has its pros and cons, of course. Like one, if you're not, you can finish a project pretty quickly and, you know, check that off your to-do list and that feels really good. But um, it's also fast. So you, you might not get to go as deep as you want, or um, it, it, you know, if, if you're feeling like, oh my gosh, this is like so fast all the time that that could generate certain feelings too. So that's a value of research. Then there's generative research, which is more strategic. This is like your visionary research. This might be, you know, uh, you know, exploring a new area, mapping out like a customer journey um, um, over a longer period of time. And so this research typically definitely takes more than two weeks. It could take months even. So um, typical UX researchers um, often balance um, a portfolio of projects that have both evaluative and generative research in it. But since I'm starting off, especially new in the field, um, where I'm kind of uh, lacking industry experience is the value to research. So my portfolio of projects these days are is really heavy on like the value to research side. So like these short research projects. So it's been a great learning experience. Um, I've, I've, I've learned a lot in the process, but it's also been very quick. So that's why my day-to-day -day changes so quickly. Okay. Do you feel something you just said um, about an area that you might lack and an area that you bring sort of strength to? 
How do you think your background in academia, particularly in archaeology, has helped prepare you for a role in UX research? Or has it? Do you feel like you've made a completely different pivot into a new world and you're starting from scratch? Any insight about even the kinds of disciplines that would do really well uh, in a UX research role? So I will say that if you're generally curious about human behavior, um, I think UX research is a good fit for you um, or a good fit to explore. You know, I'm not saying it's like a perfect fit, but it's definitely like one bucket to look into. So being an anthropologist or having um, anthropological training, you know, studying people and uh, in general, uh, that lends itself quite well to UX research. And I feel that I've met a lot of anthropologists like in my current work environment. It, it's it's always this kind of like, oh, you're an anthropologist too. And, it, and we find each other and it's great. And I've met a lot of people with humanities backgrounds um, in um, at least my current work environment. So I think that's been like wonderful. In terms of being an archaeologist, I think there are two key areas that are coming to mind in which my archaeological background in particular have lent itself well to UX research. The first is dealing with uncertainty. So the archaeological record is fragmentary. So we'll never get a full picture of what's going on. So archaeologists, especially that go through graduate training, um, I get more comfortable with being able to make an interpretation with the information they have in front of them, even if it's fragmentary. And we're really good about articulating like what we know and what we don't know and why we're making the decisions or interpretation we are. So this is not to say that like, okay, this is what we have and I'm going to make this like grandiose observation or interpretation. It's no, it's like, okay, based on this information, this is my perspective on it. And I can clearly tell you why. So I think for archaeologists, articulating design decisions amongst uncertainty, that's something we're essentially trained for because that's the material we have to work with. So that's one part that I think being an archaeologist in particular, um, I think helps a lot with design work. The second part I would say, and this might be special to my kind of journey, is the idea of, you know, you know, knowledge management. So thinking about like, okay, you do this research, but then what happens to it? Like, how is this research preserved? How are we articulating or saving this research so other people can access it and understand it? So this might be a little special to me um, as opposed to all archaeologists but like when we dig up something it's not like oh great we found this cool thing we have to think a lot about like you know what happens when we dig up like this work we have to think about like okay like how are we going to preserve it does it warrant preserving how can other people access this um so there's a lot that goes into things after you find them out so I think that also influences you know the work that I do because I'm always thinking about like okay how can I best communicate this to people who might not be specialists in this particular topic or who might have not sat in on 
on the research that day? And then how do I preserve these insights so that people can access them in the future? So um, that's, a, that's the second part. I would say that being an archaeologist kind of influences um, my approach to user experience research. Wow, that was really fascinating. I had no idea what went into even archaeology and UX research. So I think uh, everyone's going to find that real intriguing. Um, you know, now that you've piqued our interest in how you can apply from, you know, your background into UX research, uh, I'd be interested to hear about your job application process. How did you learn about this role and what were some steps you took um, to transition into a UX research role? Any tips for someone who's preparing to prepare their resume and their cover letter? So I want to be forthright and say that UX research is notoriously difficult to break into. And that is due to a lot of reasons um, and that I won't get into right now, but I, I can't say um, that it was easy in the beginning. Like I think, you know, I tried to enter into UX research a few times and it, it just, it didn't work out. This moment in time, like there, I know it's been called like the great resignation, the great adaptation, but there's a lot of great jobs out there, um, especially in user experience research as well. So my journey was more that I, you know, I kept a, up to date with my LinkedIn profile and a recruiter contacted me and I actually applied for a design strategy role because at my um at my workplace, there's a distinction between design strategy and design research. So I actually applied for a design strategy role and I went through like the whole interview process there and I ultimately didn't get it, but I guess I made a good enough impression on like the hiring manager and she thought I would be a great fit for the design research team. Um, so she forwarded my application and actually like made a call to the head of UX research and was like, you should really look at this person. Wow. And um, so that's not to toot my own horn. That's just to say that, like, even if you apply for a certain role and you don't get it, like there can be advocates for you in that organization. So definitely like any opportunity that you're interested in, even if it's not like a great fit, definitely apply like and you know, and like network and do all those things that you read about online or like you're learning in the Horizons Conference, like do that because like it can lead to something. Um, but I would say then after I interviewed um, for the design research role, like my interview was much shorter because they really trusted the their team member in evaluating me. So they just wanted to make sure like the head of research felt that like they could work with me. So I didn't go through as much of a design um, intensive portfolio review for my research role. So it, it you know, if I were to summarize kind of my journey, I would say like, you know, I tried for years to get into UX research. I kept, you know, a polished LinkedIn portfolio, like, you know, profile. And then I really took advantage of the opportunities that I did get to interview to like, you know, put my best foot forward. Now, if I were to do this again, like I would do certain things much differently. For example, I would do a lot more informational interviewing. I did a little bit, which really helped and was so integral. But I think, um, I, 
you know, doing informational interviews is just so key to get more information, but also to network. And so that's part of like my current practice in learning about the UX research field. I make sure to do at least like a couple informational interviews a month ongoingly, just so like I'm learning more about design and people are far more accessible since they're all, you know, either working like hybrid or at home. I mean, I know some people go into the office, but, um, I, you can still access people. The other thing that I would do, which I'm doing now, is join a lot of groups that are active online in terms of the UX world. There's a vibrant virtual UX community. There's different Facebook groups. There's different LinkedIn groups. There's different conferences. A lot of them are free. Um and it's a great way to network and get to know people and like figure out, you know, um, certain things about the design world. So, for example, like, do you truly want to do UX research? Because there's other parts of design that could interest you more. For example, like if you're interested in, in more designing with words, then content design might be a better fit for you. If you're actually interested in like making mock-ups and wireframes and being like a user interface designer might be a better fit. Um, and then there's the, the you know, what you're working on. Like, do you want to work in banking? Like, would you be open to that? Like, do you want to, you know, maybe work for a startup? Do you want to, you know, work on like physical products? Would you rather work on services? So, you know, there's a whole world to discover with design. So doing informational interviews, I feel like is a very accessible way to do that while also like meeting people. And so you see that kind of application side, not just like the theory side. You've definitely provided a whole lot of value to this conversation, very practical and doable tips. Thank you so much. So I wanted to pivot a little bit more now and ask you about work-life integration and what brings sort of meaning and fulfillment to you in your everyday role. What does work-life integration look like to you? And we're not even going to use the word balance because <laughs> we know it's hard uh, uh, to bring balance in this current situation. Any thoughts on that idea of fulfillment and work-life integration? Yeah, I love the framing of saying like work-life integration. I, you know, I struggled with that word balance as well. Um, so I will say that, you know, I had a bit of non-academic experience before entering this role. And I was in higher ed and I was in higher ed when we entered into the pandemic and kind of that work-life integration, like really blurred. So I think in starting this new role, I felt like I could be really proactive in certain measures and like kind of set boundaries from the beginning. So one thing I did was communicate that I cannot work past five. Like I have a natural alarm clock and that is a toddler. So if you need me in a meeting, you will be hearing a screaming toddler in the background because my toddler does not take it too well when I am working um, and, and during our like designated playtime. So like people were, and that was not even an issue at all. People like were really receptive towards that. The other thing I did um, because 
you know, being um, a graduate student and going through the PhD process, I had a really good idea of when my best work times were, like when I could, you know, expend the best brain energy. And for me, that's the mornings. Um, So I proactively blocked out my mornings where I could do deep work. And I feel privileged that I can do that because I'm in a role where I'm not managing people. Um, I'm in a role where I'm really just doing the research. And even though I have to, you know, be in stakeholder meetings, um, you know, often, I could really preserve that time. And it also lined up well, because most of the team doesn't really start their active day until after 930. So I didn't mind like starting my workday a little earlier. And then like, I guess, like balancing that out with like, you know, a slightly longer lunch break some days. So I was still like clocking in the same amount of hours. And I think that was also another aspect that was important for me too, like making sure I took some type of lunch break a day, like minimum half hour. I usually block out an hour. Um, I haven't done the best job of like going out and walking around, but I need, I want to do that more, but um, it might just be like watching a video or like doing some passion projects on the computer. Um, That's not my work computer. Um, But I think like mapping out like those kind of 40 hours during the week was important to me because that's like, that's how much I like, you know, have been contracted to work. So that's how much I will work. And, you know, with flexibility here and there too, I have a lot of autonomy over my schedule. um, And that was important in interviewing um, and finding a good fit for me in terms of UX research. Um, The other thing uh, that I did, which might be not as traditional, but I was really forthright about like my mental health. Um, I have depression and I was seeing some yellow and red flags happening uh, to myself and mental state, even before starting my current role. And then a red flag happened. So instead of just trying to like figure it out on my own and make it work and push through, I decided to be proactive and approach my head of research and to say, hey, I have this and I'm going to need a non-traditional accommodation, but this is a solution that I think can work. Um, And she was really receptive and open to that. Um, But again, since it's a non-traditional accommodation, uh, we're still trying to work it out. Um, And, but I, you know, it's really hard to sometimes like be that vulnerable, but for my mental health, it was just important. And it also made me feel better, better about the work environment. Like I, I didn't have to sit there and ruminate like, oh my gosh, like how would they take this? And, you know, I'm also owning that part of my identity of being neurodiverse and like, you know, having the agency to bring that into the conversation, not, you know, as an excuse or it's just like, this is what it is. Like I have this and like it impacts my day to day and, you know, um, but it doesn't like, I think impact like, you know, my capability or intelligence. I just need a different way of working. So I think after, you know, going through academia where sometimes we like shove those things down (laughs) to the point of where it's like toxic and actually hurts you more in the end, I just decided to like, you know what, even though it's scary, like I really feel like I have nothing to lose at this point. And that is a very privileged position to be in. Um, But I was like, 
even with all that privilege, it was still hard. So that's another thing I did to help my like work-life integration. That was probably the most scary thing was being forthright about, you know, my mental health and then asking for that like non-traditional accommodation. Yeah. And the fact that the, the organization responded in such a, a positive and meaningful way is so amazing to hear. And so hopeful as well. Maybe there is an opportunity here to start destigmatizing our mental health. You know, as we come to the end, I wanted to ask one last question, leaving us with so much to think about. But if there was one important piece of advice that you could share with grad students and postdocs as they navigate their career journeys, what would that single piece of advice be? Hmm. You know, that's really uh challenging because I really want to impart some type of wisdom that gives everyone an aha moment. But I think the one thing I'd want to say is that, you know, it can feel daunting and it is, it can feel a bit overwhelming, like, you know, changing what you're doing completely going, you know, a path that, you know, maybe the people around you might not be supportive of or might not know about. I would say the biggest piece of advice that I could impart is, you know, take things really step by step. Use that graduate training of like breaking down problems um, into like, you know, manageable steps and chip away at it, like, you know, step by step and, and incrementally. Like, you don't have to get an UX position overnight. If that happens, that's great. Um, but you know, you have people around you, you have people on the internet, uh, you know, there are people who can help you. So you're definitely not alone, but don't think you have to do everything in one sweep and like really do the work and, you know, seek out help and figuring out what those manageable incremental steps are. And it doesn't mean you have to, you know, you know, finish the whole project. You know, you might get to a point where you're like, okay, this is not for me. And then you pivot again and that's okay. But use that graduate training and breaking down complex problems into manageable steps to figure out, you know, you know, the next step. So that's what Thank I would say. You. Yes, that was such valuable advice and fantastic conversation. We're sure that our listeners would agree that the practical advice you shared today was super helpful as we think about what it means to have a fulfilling career. With that, uh, thank you, Dr. Smithy, for your time. This is Horizons by Hopkins of the Beyond the Horizon podcast mini-series, A Place to Discover What Lies Beyond. Thank you for listening.